Welcome to Bridgewater. Uh, we are kicking off a new series. As you've heard several times this morning, Rules of Engagement, and we are talking about how you do relationships well. Uh, we, we know that relationships have the capability and the potential to be incredible things in our lives, and they are the sources of greatest joy for many of us, um, but they also can be the sources of greatest pain, right? Nothing can simultaneously bring you more joy and more pain than uh, relationships do. And so we want to spend the next couple of weeks talking about how do you navigate specifically conflict? Uh, as you saw in the video and as you see in your own life, conflict's everywhere. You can't have a relationship and not experience conflict. And as we look around society, we look around culture, there's been a way that uh, we have been informed to do relationships. You have learned a pattern of relationships from culture. Um, Hollywood has had a lot of influence in how we think about relationships, and, and we want to reclaim it. We believe that Jesus has some really important things to say, and, and I would guess many of our thoughts are shaped more by culture and Hollywood than they are by the Word of God, and that's not because what the things that the church has to teach aren't helpful, it's because the things that the church has to teach are hard. The, the things that Jesus comes to teach about relationships are difficult because he won't let us get away with selfishness. He doesn't let us get away with sin, and that's hard. And so if we're being totally transparent this morning, um, the church and Christians haven't always done a great job modeling for us what relationships are supposed to be. Now, that doesn't mean what Jesus says is invaluable. It just means we have to do some work for ourselves to discover how we actually do relationships in a God-honoring way. Because I don't know about you, but my relationships aren't perfect yet. I don't have a perfect marriage. I don't have perfect friendships. I don't have uh, perfect relationships with my coworkers. I don't have perfect relationships with my family, but I want better ones. Anybody want better ones? And so that's what we're going to talk about. How do we get there? What do we actually do to improve in this area? Because believe it or not, God created you as a relational being, and when he created you as a relational being, he had one thing in mind for that relationship, and it was only positive things. See, when God made us as relational beings, he only intended for us to ever experience the positive side of relationships. Only love, never hurt. Only companionship, never abandonment. Only joy, never loss. So that was God's design for us, but we know that's not our experience. Why? Because although God offered us perfect relationships, we chose brokenness. We chose sin. And when sin entered into our uh, lives, the first thing it did was attack our relationships. It attacked our relationship with God and caused us to go run and hide from God, but it also uh, attacked Adam and Eve's relationship to each other. And the first moment of hurt in, of sin in our lives was relational conflict where Adam blamed Eve and Eve blamed the serpent. And so sin is really at the root of everything that we need to talk about. And, and so if you are here today and you don't know Jesus, we are so glad that you decided to join us this morning. And you can apply some of these principles to your life, and they're going to be helpful. And I bet they would make your relationships really, really good. Um, but you have a relationship with Jesus, that, a relationship with God that might need some work first. And so that's where we would encourage you to start. If you want to have a conversation with us about that, um, the rest of these four weeks are going to be great for you, but that's the primary relationship we need to work on. Because from that understanding of how God engages us in relationship changes everything about how we treat one another. Because something is true of you that's true of me, that's true of the person you're in conflict with, that's true of the person that really annoys you at work, uh, that, that's true of the mother-in-law, that's true of anybody in your life. What's true of them is true of us, and it's this statement, that sinful people tend to respond sinfully when sinned against. Now, say that five times fast, all right? 
But, but here's what it's saying, that you and I have some sin in our lives, some brokenness in our lives, and our natural response is always going to be to respond sinfully when sin against. Now, what is that? It is the downward spiral, the law of diminishing returns of our sin. Your natural response when somebody cuts you off in traffic is not, oh goodness, I'm so glad you're getting there before me, right? When your spouse makes that comment that just cuts, your natural response is to think of a good zinger to send back across the table or maybe a dinner plate. I don't know, right? That is what? Sin, right? In the baseball game, when you when the pitcher hits the batter in the next inning, the next pitcher hits the team in retaliation and the bench is clear. What is that? It's not competition. It's sin. See, this is true in all of our marriages as well. Marriage and conflict in marriage is a result of sinful people responding sinfully when sinned against. See, the majority of marriage counseling is because somebody somewhere along the line won't acknowledge some sin. They won't own up to it. If everybody owned up to their sin and acknowledged their sin, there wouldn't be marriage counseling. There would just be confession and repentance. <laughs> marriage counseling exists because we don't want to believe this to be true. And even if we believe it to be true, we don't want to own it to be true in our lives. And so I'd be out of a job if we understood this one. <laughs> Why? Because our natural response is always going to be to respond then with sin. But we believe there's a better way. We believe God calls us to a better way. And maybe that's the pattern that you've learned out of survival. But the word of God is going to come and show us a better way. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul in Romans says, hey, there's a pattern of relationship. There's a pattern of life that you've learned your entire life. And I'm here to tell you that the pattern's broken. Can, can we just be honest and say that perhaps the way that we've been doing relationships is broken? The way that we've been handling conflict is broken? The way that we've been handling dysfunction is broken? That maybe the way Hollywood has set up love and marriage and friendships and relationships is actually a broken pattern? See, I think the reason why the world doesn't listen to what church has to say in regards to relationship isn't because they don't know what we teach. I think the world very much understands what we teach. I think the reason the world doesn't necessarily listen to what Christians have to say about relationships is because they haven't seen it in us. Because they haven't seen it in us. They hear us talk about all these great relationships, morals, and yet the numbers don't add up. Now, why is that? Because though we know it to be true, somewhere in our mind, we still have been operating out of old patterns of relational thinking. We still have been operating out of the way everybody else has been doing it, rather than the second half of the verse, rather than being transformed in our thinking. And I, I'm here to say today that I've needed some transformation in my thinking in regards to relationships. And I believe we all probably could use some transformation, some renovation, some re-innovation in regards to relationships. Because I know what's true of you is true of me, that God has given you a natural desire for relationships. We all long to be known, loved, and cared for, to understand and to be understood. It's natural in all of us. Now, some of us, because of wounds, have uh, foregone that emotion, but it's in there. And so I think, though we can push it aside, we all really want a new way of thinking. We all need renovated thinking. And so here is my point for you today. You need to rethink your reactions. 
As you come into conflict, and I'm, I'm not just talking about conflict with your spouse, I'm talking about conflict with everybody, you need to rethink your reactions. You need to hit the pause button because you're right. You can't control what happens to you. You really don't have a ton of control over what comes your way, but you have 100% control over how you react to it. Only you can decide how you react to something. No one can make you react any way, and I hear it all the time. Well, if they wouldn't say this, then I wouldn't do that. Now, did they open your jaw, move your tongue, compress your lungs, and push those things out of your mouth? No, no, no. You chose that. Okay? So we need to pause and go, okay, there is something inside of me that wants to come out. And as much as I want to blame the other person, I'm the only one in charge of my reactions. I'm the only one who gets to dictate those things. Now, can they provoke that in you? Certainly, especially if they know you well, they know your triggers. But what is that? They just revealed what was already inside of you. They just took the lid off of the sin that was alive and well in our heart. So when I am in a conflict, sarcasm is my go-to. Now, did they make me say those cutting words? No. It feels a little good if I'm being honest with you. Why? Because the sin inside of me. So we need to rethink those reactions. But to understand this, I think you need to really begin to understand who you are. Because not only does conflict uh, provoke your sin nature, it provokes everything about you, physiologically, psychologically. And so I actually want to read off for you a little bit of what happens when your body um, engages in conflict. So there's a perceived threat, be it verbal or physical. Your body will literally go through this chain reaction in which it sends a message to your adrenal glands or your adrenaline and begins to start this whole process in which your non-essential services are shut off. So if you're in conflict, your body will stop digesting food. It'll stop processing food. That's why some of you, when you even smell conflict, you get a little stomach ache, right? Like, where are my stomach aches at? Come on. Now, there's like three of you, but I know. I, I get it, right? You're about to go confront somebody, and you're like, oh, I don't feel good. It wasn't Taco Bell, I swear. Right? Then the liver is going to put glucose into your bloodstream, which just kind of amps you up. Then there's oxygen. You're going to accelerate oxygen into your bloodstream. So your breathing and your blood flow are now all increased. And so your heart has to do something with it. And so your heart starts beating faster and faster and faster, which is why some of you get the racing heart or palpitations when you're in conflict or disagreement, right? Just the kind of fluttering. That's what's going on. Your body's literally accelerating and it shoves all of this uh, extra energy basically into your muscles. And so you start to shake or you get really fidgety, right? Like where are my fidgeters at? You're like, you know, conflict's coming and you're like sitting there like, this is so uncomfortable, right? Like you felt that way walking into church this morning. It's great. Anyway, so, <laughs> so then two things begin to happen. After your muscles do that, your brain begins to accelerate its response and reflexes and it reduces the amount of blood to your frontal cortex, which is your higher thinking. So what does that mean? It means your body literally turns you into a war machine, ready to fight, not ready to think. It reduces your reasoning levels, and so as you get ready, your body is amped, and your brain is shut off. You are in literally fight or flight. So what does that mean for you? It means that in conflict, you can't think logically. Your logical ability is literally reduced. And you're like, not me. I'm the most logical arguer ever. Just tell my wife. Yeah, tell me how that goes. All right? See, your reasonings are reduced so much that you need to actually pause and what? Rethink your reactions. In a level-headed mind, would I respond this way, right? Like, if I'm in a disagreement, my brain says, sarcasm is going to fix this. Like, 
Since when does that work, honestly? It doesn't work. And yet, my reasoning is reduced and so I go there. So, so you have a physiological response to it, but you also have a psychological response to, to what's going on. And so I'm going to lay out for you two patterns of how you handle conflict. And uh, what I want you to do is as we go through this, I want you to think about yourself. Because if you're going to begin to rethink your reactions <coughs> excuse me, and change your pattern of thinking, you have to understand your old pattern. Because if you don't identify your old pattern, you're just going to keep going back to that habit and not really realize how to change. And so uh, there's two reactions that you come across a lot, and we call them fight or flight. But we're going to call them escape and attack this morning. So uh, escape responses are used by people who'd rather get away from the argument than win the argument, right? They're your turtle. They're going to be the people who shove things under the rug. And so there's kind of a progression of how this goes. And so the first escape response would be denial, right? So if you're in conflict, the first move for you is probably going to be deny that it happened. Did, did he just yell at you like that? No, he, you know, he was just frustrated. He, that's not a big deal, right? Oh, yeah, no, that didn't happen. No, don't even worry. Don't even mention it. It's fine. It's fine. No, no not a big deal at all, right? What is that? That's denial. That's I don't want to deal with the conflict and the, the break in relationship that just happened. I'm just going to pretend that it didn't even uh, exist. I'm just going to pretend that it wasn't there. The second move after denial would be in, to internalize. Right? So this is those of you who win a lot of conversations in your mind that never happened in person. <laughs> right? you, you sit there and you inwardly stew and you, you think about it and you say, man, I'm going to say this, 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 and this. And you somehow win every argument in your head. Right? Like, literally the other night, it was so, so funny. I woke up having an argument with somebody in my dream and I woke up and finished the argument when I woke up. And man, that was such a good zinger. I should have said... What am I doing? Right? Like, it's where you take the conflict there, and I don't want to actually deal with it, so I'm going to internalize it here, and I'm going to have this fight because it's easy to win these ones. It's internalizing. The, second one, or the third one would be temporary flight. This is where you just kind of get out of the situation, you run away from the situation. Now, there is some wisdom to this one. If you're in a, an emotionally charged situation, this is a good time to pause, reflect, rethink your reactions. If you're in physical harm, obviously get out of there. Uh, the Word of God does not tell you to stay in physical harm, so, so get out. But it's always with the intent to come back and fix it, to come back and resolve it. And the problem with this one is we live such busy lives that it's really easy to run away from things and not come back and deal with them. Or we live in such conflict that it's so easy to run away from them and just throw them under the rug because there's another fight now we got to deal with that we didn't deal with that one. Well, that's going to accumulate and you're going to have a lump in your living room or you're going to have a lump in the office. And the Word of God would say this to us about our time of how we handle things. In your anger, do not sin. Now, this is important. We'll get to this in a couple weeks. There's an anger that's not sin. So I'm not saying be an emotional pacifist. I'm saying we have to handle this properly. So do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. So the Word of God says you got 24 hours. you got about 24 hours to come back and begin to work on this conflict. It doesn't mean it's resolved, but it means you got to come back and work on it. You can't just run away from ever, or else the enemy gets a foothold in your life. Bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, uh, all of those things are a foothold for the enemy to continue to pull you down. And the greatest extreme of uh, this escape would be personal harm. We see this a lot in uh, younger kids. They don't know how to deal with conflict at home. They don't know how to deal with stresses and relationships. And so you'll begin to move towards personal harm, um, even the greatest of these being suicide. 
What is suicide? Suicide is ultimately an escape from pain. It's ultimately an inability to deal with a conflict, a hurt, or a disappointment, so I'm going to escape from it. So, so this is the progression, and uh, wherever you are on this, it's important to identify if you're here, um, definitely please come talk to somebody. You don't want to stay there. But, but what's, your, what's your go-to? The other side of us, the other percentage of the room are going to be the attack response. So you, you're more interested in winning the argument than you are winning the relationship. And so your first move is going to be manipulation. Uh, what I mean by manipulation is um, there's a certain skill set with words that you can win every argument. You can come in and you know how to spin things and you can talk faster and you can talk louder and you know you can beat their logic and so you're going to talk so quickly that you spin them in a circle and that they just quit and give up. Not my spiritual gift. It's part of my being though. Ask my poor wife. I can spin words out really fast. What is, that's manipulation. That's me trying to leverage something to get a win in this conversation. Super ungodly. God's working on it in my heart. Uh, doing a lot better than I used to be doing because I recognize the pattern in my life. The second one would be verbal abuse. This is those who would um, belittle, demean. I would put gossip in this level, right? So you're swearing, you're yelling, and, and so that's a direct attack, but you also attack indirectly through gossip, right? And, and so this is really important that you recognize this. Now, don't just think um, angry guy yelling because that's not the only one who does this. We all know how to push buttons, we all know how to get somebody to react some way that we can get them to blow up and so it makes them look like the bad guy, not me. What is that? That's verbal abuse still. That's button pushing. The third one would be physical intimidation. The most basic human response to uh, conflict. I'm going to do something. I'm going to posture up so you feel intimidated and you back down. And this is not just a male thing. It's male and female. You know how to poke them in the chest and you know how to stand in the way and you know how to grab the arm. What is it? It's a provoking of conflict. And then the last one would be the same extreme, but opposite would be assault or harm, where you can't handle the conflict so much that you've moved beyond intimidation to actually laying of hands, hurting, and ultimately inflicting pain on someone. If you are in this situation, get out. If you are the recipient of this, get out. The Word of God says get out of that. Come talk to the authorities. Come talk to us. We want to be involved and helping you get free from that. We're not, we're not telling anybody to stay here, so don't hear me in any of this. Now, you can go through this whole list, and what begins to happen in our mind is, is you identify yours, is you can just blame your trigger, right? If they wouldn't say that thing, then I wouldn't do this thing. If the coworker wouldn't talk this way in front of the boss, then I wouldn't want to take a stapler and slap him upside the head, right? Like, if she wouldn't push that button, I wouldn't have to. You know what I'm talking about? The trigger's not the problem. All that revealed is that you also have pride in your heart in which we can't own our own sin. And so, sure, limit your exposure to your triggers. Do work to reduce the triggers in your life, but recognize the triggers as God's sanctifying grace in your life in which he loves you too much to let sin sit in your heart, and you hear this trigger, you feel this trigger, and go, hmm, Jesus, shine the light in there. There's something inside of me that's not responding in a godly manner. And so don't, don't blame the triggers. The triggers uh, only reveal what's already inside of us. And so I, I hear all of this, and it, it's very easy to blame the boss and, and blame all of these other people, but I really believe that we're mature enough to know that there's a better way, that there's more that God has for us, that the way that uh, the world has shown us relationships is the way that you've learned relationships. Like, you, you know, your pattern or your response was a learned behavior, 
You learned it from somewhere. Probably your parents, maybe an uncle, maybe a friend, maybe a boss. And so you have to pause and go, okay, where did I learn this and why did I learn this? Because, and this is a caveat, but this is really important. A lot of the times, our negative responses are coming out of a wounded place that we've never dealt with. So maybe your parent did one of these to you. Maybe they uh, used some verbal abuse on you. And that's how you grew up and you never forgave and you never walked through that, which is why Ephesians says, deal with this and don't give the enemy a foothold. Because what will happen time and time again, I've seen it more times than I can count, is if you have been a recipient of one of these responses, you will end up becoming somebody who uses that response. Because broken people do broken things. And so you have to go backwards and say, maybe the reason I'm responding this way is there's some unforgiveness I have to deal with in my life. And we'll get to that in week five. But I really believe that God has a better way. And so there's a, there's a lot of things we're going to talk about over this series. But the first thing that we need to really lay as a groundwork in your pursuit of better relationships is that you would first pursue peace. That you would sit in conflict, would come into conflict because you're always going to have it in your life. You can't avoid conflict, but you can decide your first move. And your first move ought to be to pursue peace. Now, what do I mean by pursuing peace? Because of sin... Uh, Peace isn't going to be a natural recipe in your relationships. It's going to have to be something you work towards. It's going to be something that takes intentional effort to get there, which is why uh, Jesus has a lot to say about making peace. And we'll talk about that in a second. But, but Paul in Romans says it this way, Romans 12, verse 18. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We'll jump to verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, what do those two verses say? You don't get to pick and choose who you're at peace with. What did he say? As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. And so there's not a checklist of peace and not peace. I have to be at a certain level of peace with all people in my life, which means it takes a ton of work, which is why we don't do it, if I'm being honest. There's certain relationships that I've had in my past that I haven't had peace with because that was way more work than I had in me. Well, I, that doesn't let me off the hook. <laughs> I'm still called to live at peace with all people. Now, does that mean there will be times, as he said, if at all possible, that there be people you won't live at peace with? Absolutely. But they're few and far between. They're very few and far between. It's been my experience that we use that one too quickly because we don't want to do the hard work to actually pursue peace. Well, I've done everything I can. Okay, have you really? H have you really? And we're going to get to that in a couple weeks, but it leaves us with the question. How much effort do you put into pursuing peace? How much effort are we supposed to put into pursuing peace in conflict, be it with a coworker, be it with a spouse, be it with a family member? What's the level of effort? Because you're learning one from the world, or you have learned one from the world, and if we're being totally honest, the world has two extremes in, in the effort. There's an effort that is incredibly selfish, in which I'm going to do everything for self-preservation, but there's also another level of self-deprecation or self-harm, in which you will try so hard to make peace that you'll end up putting yourself in a very dangerous situation, which is where abuse happens because you think you're trying to uh, get peace. But there's a standard, there's a bar for believers that's very different, and it's this. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 says, So we make it our goal to please him. If I'm in conflict, the question I have to ask is, is the level of effort I'm putting in to pursue peace honoring to God? 
Is the way I'm handling this conflict pleasing to God in light of the cross, in light of him shedding his blood for me, his enemy, am I honoring the sacrifice he showed me and in the level of effort I'm pursuing peace? See, this is the standard that Jesus lived his life by. In John, he said this, I seek not to please myself. How easy is that in conflict? Gratifying the flesh, but him who sent me, he says this later on. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Do you know how different my relationships would look if I lived this? If I really used the bar of pleasing Jesus and how I handled every conflict, man, it'd be, it'd be such, such a win. It'd be so great. Jesus later on in Matthew says this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. See, one of the marks, one of the identifiers of us as believers is that to be a child of God, we're to be a peacemaker. Now, there's a difference here between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. Peacekeepers are willing to throw anything under the rug and ignore it. See, that's not peace. Because what happens for peacekeepers is you walk into that room, and maybe say it's a family uh, gathering, and you know there's that one individual there who, if you say that one sentence, is going to get really triggered. And so the peacekeeper in the room is walking around having a conversation with everybody before they show up saying, hey, don't say this, don't say this, remember, don't say this in front of them, don't say this in front of them. And then they spend the entire gathering trying to make sure nobody says that one thing. Now, are you at peace at all in that moment? No, you're super anxious because you're trying to not let that thing come out. That's peacekeeping, and it's not what God has called us to, peacemaking walks into the room and says, hey, I know there's some conflict in this relationship. I know you're responding poorly. Let's have a conversation about why you're responding poorly. Let's have a conversation about why this is a trigger. Now, that's not over family dinner. That's at a different time. But there's a difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. And if you want true peace, the peace that gets to just sit at the table and enjoy the beauty of relationships, you have to pursue peace. And so over the the next weeks, we're going to give you some ground rules, some things that you need to uh, think about, process, that we encourage you to put in your life. Because the thing about relationships is is we can get so caught up in the conflict, in winning the conflict. And for you, maybe winning is actually winning or winning is avoiding, depending on your personality. But I want you to rethink the win in conflict. The win in conflict in relationships is not to win the conflict. It's to win the relationship. See, ground rule number one for the series is that it's not about winning. It's not about winning. So what, what I want you to do this week, this is my challenge for you. As you come into conflict, as you naturally will this week, be it big, be it small, I want you to pause. I want you to rethink your reaction for a second and go, okay, <laughs> I want to say that thing. It's going to be very unhelpful. Let me pause. Let me not go there. Or I want to run away. Let me stay here in this moment for a minute longer And then I want you to picture a trophy. I want you to look at that trophy and go, how do I get this trophy? I don't get this trophy by causing the other person to back down. I don't get this trophy by running away and ignoring this. I get this trophy by being a peacemaker who pursues peace and wins the relationship. And how might your reaction be different? How might you approach the conflict differently? How might you approach the coworker differently if winning is about winning a relationship, not winning an argument? If winning is about being a peacemaker, that the world might look in on the church and say, man, there's something about how those guys do relationships 
There's something about how I witness their marriages. There's something about how I watch them handle the boss at work that just makes me want to know more about the God they serve because that, that was awesome. And it's unlike anything I've ever seen before. Now that's possible if we do the work to get there. If we allow Jesus into the brokenness of our life and we say, you know what, I want to be a peacemaker. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you have set the ultimate example of of peacemaking for us. That you went before us and you showed what it means to pursue peace. That you didn't sit passively in heaven waiting for us to figure it out, God. That you came to us. You reconciled the wrong on our behalf. But you didn't let us off the hook. You knew that in order for us to be at peace, we had to repent. We had to let go of sin. We had to walk into the light. God, I pray that that would be our model of relationships, that we would walk in godliness, that when we approach conflict, we would pause. We would not do what comes naturally and from our sinful disposition, but we would do what comes from the Holy Spirit living inside of believers, that we would choose a godly response over a fleshly response. God, we don't want to please ourselves. We don't want to do what pleases us. We want to do what pleases you. And so we ask you, we, we can't do this on our own. We can't pursue whole relationships on our own power. We've tried and it hasn't worked. And so, Father, we pray that you would fill each one of us in this room with your power, with your spirit, with your desire to see our relationships so healthy and so good that they bring honor and glory to you. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.